0: And if you saw the email, I'm going to talk about, uh, we're going to walk through um, Luke chapter 15 and talk about the lost thing. So why don't you go and try and find Luke chapter 15 while I kind of talk about things. Um, I don't know about you, but um, I'm going to talk about Libby for a minute. Libby loses things all the time, man. Talk quiet, it's all quiet, I can to whisper. Loses things all the time, um I think she actually gets it off her dad um, because her dad like also loses things all the time, like like puts things down and forgets about them all right so you know um it's just personality things you know like she just for things you know like keys, cell phone, wallet they could just be put anywhere in fact you know she'd come home keys, handbag, wallet, whatever um and like get distracted something, like, oh, the kids want a sandwich, or, you know, I've got to, you know, um, hang the washing out, whatever, and to just put what's in her hand down somewhere, just put it down so she could do the thing, um, and it could be anywhere, but because she's doing a task, she hasn't thought, where did I put those things, you know, it's just like, and then we spend half our time kind of like looking, where are the keys, you know, they're in the laundry, are they in the, you know, on the desk, or are they under the kitchen table, I've come home before, and they've been still in the door, um, and the door 's shut, and they 're all inside and i don 't know how long it's been like that um, and so it, it's it 's chaos, but that 's cool because we 're all wired different me I have a place, everything in its a pl- place for everything and everything in its place, okay, like keys I know the keys i know they 're either going to be there or they 're going to be there, and a wallet i know it 's going to be there or it 's going to be there, you know like i 'm so how i 'm wired, so I know. If it's not in its place, it's genuinely lost. Like, I know. I'm like, oh, my goodness. It's not in those two or three places where it always is Where's it gone? You know, where are my keys? Where are my wallets? And I and I genuinely at that point I panic because I know I do random places. I always leave things in the right place, and if it's not there, either Libby's taking it and put it down somewhere random, um, or it's gone. It's lost. Okay, so this happened to me once. Happened to me last year. Okay. So I lost my wallet and I was freaking out because wallet is the worst thing to lose. You know, you've got credit card, you've got driver's license, you've got all this stuff that's just like a mission to um, replace and to find again. So wallet, I'm like, oh man, where's this wallet? And it was a disaster because it was the day Libby ran the half marathon and we had been following her along. And so we had been to the government gardens, we had been to Waipa mountain biking, we had been to the lake front playground and we' had, you know everywhere in between and it could have been anywhere and so I'm like panicking and retracing my steps and looking turn the house upside down turn everything turn the church upside down did I leave it there during the week um, and so I'm looking for this thing and you know I wish I could say that I had been very holy and very spiritual in that moment um, but I was not. And um, I'm sure I did pray. I I guarantee you, I, I prayed. But the prayer would have been like, "Oh, come on, God, please, <laughs> please. Why? Why is this happening? Saturday? I don't need stress on Saturday. I don't need it. You know, I'm like, oh, Saturday, Sundays are not great. I don't need this. Come on, where is this wallet? And then it came to my mind, came to my thoughts. Okay, um. Drive down past the lakefront, drive down, I'm like, oh, that would be the worst place. And I was avoiding looking there because, you know, leaving it in a playground, like, what hope do you have for your wallet um, four hours later? And so I drive past, and I must have looked really funny because I was driving, like, head out the window, really slowly. And um, and then I parked the car and hopped out, and I'm looking, I look even funnier because I'm, like, walking, like, under the cars, you know, um, and there's a couple there and they had picked up the wallet. They had like just picked it up and well, maybe 10 minutes earlier, they picked it up and they're just about to take it to the police station. Very good, honest people in our city. And they um, they saw me looking for something and they said, oh, have you, are you looking for your wallet? And I said, yes. And they handed me the wallet and it was the most like the joy at that moment the relief at that moment, you know, like, oh, thank God. And then the guilt, oh, I'm so sorry, God, for kind of how I reacted over the last hour. Um, But, you know, I'm sure you can all think of stories of your own where you have uh, lost something, where something has gone missing. And the effort that you put into finding those valuable things, you know, and the panic, and it just, Consumes your Where has it gone? You won't rest until you don't. Until you find it, don't stop looking. And then the incredible joy, the incredible relief of when you finally find it. We're going to look today at uh, a few stories that Jesus told in Luke 15 about some things that got lost, and we can learn some really inspiring lessons from that. So, Father, do please teach us what we need to know. Luke 15, verse 1 to 2, let's read. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Pharisees, see the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were upset with Jesus because he mixed with people they called sinners. And uh, they avoided these so-called sinners, and they tried not to have anything to do with them. And they wanted Jesus to be like them, like the Pharisees. They wanted him to be super spiritual and religious. Um, So Jesus told them the story. Verse 3, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that it will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The lost sheep. See, a a lost sheep was a familiar scenario back in Jesus' day. And apparently there were lots of flocks, and they all belonged to the to the whole village. You know, flock belonged to the whole village. And so often you would have um, two or three shepherds would be in charge of this um, village's flock. Um, but sheep being sheep, uh, there was often one that would wander off, you know, and get lost. And uh, so then some of the shepherds would go home, and they'd return to the village with the whole flock. And they'd say, hey, you know... Um, our other guy, the other shepherd, he's out there. He's looking for this lost sheep, okay? And so the village, they would all kind of wait, and um, they would be on the alert until they, saw, until they saw the distant figure of the shepherd coming back, carrying the lost sheep on his shoulders, and the whole village would rejoice. The whole village would celebrate because they had found um, this lost sheep. And so that's what the story is about. It shows how God rejoices even more when a lost sinner is found than a shepherd does when his lost sheep is found. He is a God who knows the joy of finding something valuable after it's been lost. And of course, you know, a lost soul is way more cheap or keys or a diamond ring or a wallet in the car park. Um, but in the story of the lost sheep, Jesus was trying to get across to the religious leaders, firstly, how much God loves lost people, and secondly, the great joy that God has when they're found. He says, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And the Pharisees, they probably looked like a bunch of stun mullets because that was a kind of a foreign view of God at that time. Um, and it was not the way that they thought about sinners. Instead of saying there will be joy in heaven over a sinner who repents, um, they probably used to say there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who was banished and obliterated by God. You know, they would they would advocate for the the righteous justice and judgment of God on on sin and on sinners. Um, they weren't interested in sinners and tax collectors and people that Jesus saw as lost sheep. They actually looked forward to their separation to their destruction so what about us you know will we align ourselves with the the heart of the pharisees or will we align ourselves with the heart of god and of course you know we want to and we'll choose to align ourselves with the heart of god because people are our passion and beyond is our purpose the pharisees would have also been astounded to see god as a seeking a seeking god when jesus compared god to and us to that shepherd they might have thought that if a man you know might have come crawling back to god groveling you know broken over you know crawling over broken glass praying for mercy then maybe just maybe god might you know forgive them be merciful but they would never would have dreamed that god would actually go out searching looking for sinners there was a young man who lived a wild and sinful life then someone took him to a christian meeting and he was radically saved after that he was on fire for god and he lived a really good christian life anyone if anyone asked him how he got saved he would say well i did my part and god did his part but what was your part and what was god's part you know the other person would ask and the young man replied well my part was to run away and God's part was to run after me until He caught me. And that's um, well, true. That's my story. <laughs> I don't know if it's your story. It's my story. But isn't it the truth? Sometimes we think it's like God is lost or hidden, hiding. You know, it's like this hide and seek. You know, we're we're really working God. Where are you? We're looking for God. But uh, the reality is, you know, that we are the ones lost, walking in darkness, hiding, and is going all out looking for us. You know, I was talking to Jan on um, during the week, just saying that, that was the refreshing part about last week's sermon from Pastor Tark on postcards. You know, so often we hear about the things that we have to do, you know, and um, our obligation to get close to God and know God. But then it was really refreshing to know that, you know what, God is active, doing things for us that we have no idea. He's pursuing us with his love, with his kindness, with his goodness and his generosity, You know, he's working things for our good. Um, I just want to quickly digress a little bit and define this term sinner because I think it's important. You know, our default is to think sinners um, define, you know, wicked people, evil people, um, the depraved people, immoral people, you know, bad people, the bad person. Um, But a simple definition of sin essentially means doing things our way not doing things God's way, okay? Choosing our ways over God's ways. You know, the Gentiles or the non-Jews in the word of God were, were called sinners, but not because they were necessarily bad or wicked people, but because they were not governed by um, the, the law of Moses, not governed by God's ways, you know? And so they would call the Gentiles sinners because they were not the way that God Uh, Intends that people would live They weren't always evil people And that's important because we can't see Unsafe people as bad people We can't see them as Wicked or evil or immoral Um, They are God's children They are God's people um, Just Not yet living Under God's ways Just not yet living Surrendered to God Um, So that is Sinners repenting is not necessarily saying, "Oh, that one, that bad thing I did. I'm sorry. I'm trying to try not to do that bad thing again." No, repenting is broader than that. Repenting is deciding to turn away from living a life for ourselves, and deciding to turn, to turn towards living a life surrendered to God's way of living, as we see from the Word of God, His standards, His ways. Living surrendered to God—that is repentance. That is living in repentance. And so, um, we are all. Sinners, we all do our own thing all the time, all the time, I guarantee, probably daily. And for the mercy of God, He blinds us from that, and we don't feel, feel horrible for it. And we're under the blood of Jesus, absolutely, you know, we are, we are the righteousness of Christ, you know. But we do, we complain, we gossip, we worry, we ignore God's promptings, we ignore wise counsel. Um, and so, no one is worse. No one else's sin is worse, all right? Sin is sin. Sin is just living apart from God's ways. And the difference between sinners and the righteous is simply that we are under the blood of Jesus. We are covered. We are forgiven. We are forgiven, accepted by grace. We are righteous by faith in Christ Christ. And the other difference is that we are in repentance, meaning we're in a place of actively, intentionally changing how we live life to better follow God's ways. If you would live under the blood of Jesus and have a genuine heart, God, I want to change, always changing so that I can better reflect how to live under your God's ways. Um, and that's the difference between r- the righteous and the sinner. I think that's important because we don't want to judge um, necessarily people. One Corinthians thirteen seven love never gives up. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. If you think about our love for the lost, Jesus love for sinners, Jesus never gives up. Never loses faith in people is always hopeful for people, endures through every circumstance. You know, love is patient. So never lose faith in someone. Always be hopeful for someone. Always endure through every circumstance to show them love, to seek them. And that's how we look for lost sheep. That's how we search for the lost sheep. So the next um, thing that is lost is the lost coin. The lost coin. We see this in uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 8. Suppose a woman, has, a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angel, of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, apparently, it was easy to lose a coin in a house in Bible times and really hard to find it. The houses were dark inside. The floors were made of beaten earth and then covered with dried reeds and rushes. And finding a lost coin in that would be like looking for a needle in a haystack. That's why she had to probably turn the whole house upside down, probably get rid of everything in the house, sift through all the branches. Where's this jolly coin? Um, but in the story, the woman searched high and low until she found a coin and she was so happy she had to tell her friends and neighbors about it and they rejoiced with her. Once again, this is a picture of the joy of God and the angels over a sinner who repents and comes to God. So we've looked at this coin and we'll get to the lost son soon. But one thing we see here is that each of these stories represents a different kind of lostness, different kind of being lost. First and foremost, we see that God was equally concerned for each one the sheep and the coin and the sun, despite how they got lost. See, they all got lost through different reasons. The sheep was lost through, let's just say, sheer stupidity. All right, sheep, okay? Sheep are not bright, all right? They kind of follow the leader people. Sheep are among the dumbest of animals. They follow the leader into all kinds of trouble. They can't see the danger they're in. They wander off and they don't know their way back. All right, and now there are untold people today that are lost through, well, let's maybe not say sheer stupidity, but let's just say ignorance, blindness, uh, lack of understanding, and have wandered off. And there are untold things that we can do to help rescue them or save them, you know, like being a good friend, putting our arm around people. Sowing good seeds, praying, inviting, building trust, sharing the good news or sharing our testimony, and doing whatever the Holy Spirit leads us to do to look for people who have just wandered off. How did the coin get lost? Well, who knows? Coin. You can't blame the coin, all right? Um, it was lost uh, in the house, okay, through carelessness. It was lost in the house through carelessness. So we could say in the church, all right, by the owner. This one lands squarely on our doorstep. Okay, so we all have to be careful here because there will always be some people in the house who are vulnerable to getting lost through the carelessness of others. Through the carelessness of others, through our own offense or the way that we treat them. So let's make sure that we are not one of those careless ones that lose precious coins from the house. Matthew 18 verse 7, What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin, tempts people to live away from God's ways. Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. Another version puts it this way, Offences must come. Join the club if you have been offended in the church It is. Jesus promised it will happen. You think of all the promises of the word of God. Yes and amen to all the promises. Well, wow, one of them is um offense is going to come. Probably from within the church and the family of God. You know, there's no way to avoid getting hurt and offended. But we must be so careful to not let it trip us up in our walk with God. And likewise, we must be so careful not to cause others to trip up in their walk with God. The Apostle Paul in Romans 15 urges us to be considerate of those who are weaker in the faith. Our role is to help, not hinder. I would much rather put my arm around somebody and say, let's go, than point my finger at somebody and say, that's how you do it. You know, that's discipleship, is walking through things with people. We can all think of ways that Christians could end up lost in the house through the carelessness of others. You know, there's the horrendous, the hideous, and the big stuff, you know. But of course, nobody's perfect, and, uh, but we all have a responsibility to not be the losers <laughs> and lose precious coins. Um, you know, there's things like hypocrisy, gossip, judgment. And, you know, it doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth and give wise advice that might be hard to hear. It just means that we need to do it with love and patience and empathy and compassion and grace. We can speak hard truths at the right time out of a history and out of a foundation of uh, built trust. We build trust with people and then we can disciple and speak into their lives. Often carelessness in the church, then on purpose, you know. Um I often wonder about um kids you know kids kids watch with their eyes, they will listen with their eyes, you know, and the example that we set with them is very important. They often grow up to follow that example you know say for instance if if we don't prioritize um going to church on a Sunday and they watch, and so when they're older, ah oh, church is an option, you know and uh what's the what's the thing what what walks and the father runs in the son you know often they watch and then they add to it intensify you think of the example that we set with prayer the example that we set with our generosity with our love with our acceptance of people you know like um, we have to be intentional to model so that other people will not we wouldn't, wouldn't cause a stumbling block for other people so let's be careful, who are people who are careful to care for the coins around us, people of good influence, to not lose people in the church through our own neglect, amen. And then we see the lost boy, this is the more preached about, I guess, story of lost things, Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 24, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, I love that, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up, went to his father But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. So the sheep was lost by ignorance. The coin was lost by neglect and carelessness. But the prodigal son made a deliberate and selfish and stupid choice to get himself lost. He ran away. And not only was he a rebel he was also a prodigal prodigal means wasteful he went off to a far country and when he got there he wasted threw away his inheritance he took for granted the good place that he had in his father's house and he threw it away it's pretty impossible nowadays for us to go to a um, you know far off country you know um international travel is a <laughs> thing of the past for the next foreseeable future isn't it um, but in some ways all it takes is a, a few clicks of the mouse on the computer a few taps on a button on the internet or the phone and you know we're in a far away place at least we're not somewhere we you know we're somewhere we shouldn't be um, you know through porn through alcohol through drugs through gambling through wild living whatever it is we can escape, people can escape and go to go far away from family, go far away from God, go far away from the church. And then we get ourselves out of fellowship with our father and we tend to waste the gifts, the inheritance he's given us. It's a terrible thing to waste the father's inheritance. It's a wastefulness that has eternal consequences. We must value and make the most of of our God-given inheritance. What we have in the kingdom of God is precious. It's not waste and throw it away or take it for granted. I love what the prodigal son says when he comes to his senses. Basically, he says, it was better for me in the father's house. Better for me. I wish I didn't waste what I had. I wish I didn't throw it away. So people get lost in various ways, but the main point of these three stories is not about what's happening to the sheep or the coin or the son, What they mostly show us is the longing and the agony and the grief of the person that has suffered the loss. The shepherd suffers far more than the oblivious sheep. The coin doesn't care that it's lost. It's the woman who suffers over it. And it's the father who is heartbroken over the loss of his son. The shepherd didn't forget his lost sheep, even though he had 99 others. The woman didn't forget her coin. And the father, he couldn't forget his boy. And there we see God's heart for lost people. And that's what he wants to develop in us. The father was different from the shepherd and from the woman because he didn't go looking for the lost son. He let his boy go, but he never forgot him. And he always hoped that he had come back. He spotted the boy as he was coming home. And you know you can't spot somebody unless you're always watching, unless you're looking. Unless you're praying, unless you're keeping an eye out for them. Maybe every night before he went to bed, this father would pray that his son would find his way home. And so when the son's situation got really, really bad, he thought of his father. The whole point of the story is the father's love, the wild and passionate and extravagant love of the father. His overwhelming joy shows us God's attitude to a lost sinner who's coming home to God. You know, so many families have prodigals. And the encouragement here is to keep praying, keep believing, keep expecting our Heavenly Father is going after them. You know, it's not always the right thing or it's not always practical to go chasing after them. But we can wait and watch and pray and keep an eye out and be expecting them to return. And you see how his father threw his arms around the son. You know, this boy had come from the pig pen. Pigs you know, Pigs stink. You know, it's not a clean place. It's not a pretty place. And there's a thought there, you know, we love praying for our community to be reached. We love praying for revival. We love praying for lost people to come to church. But let's also include prayers for God to enlarge our hearts, to be accepting, to be welcoming, to handle, you know, some some of the things of the world that get carried in on these people. Some people call it the messy church, messy church. People are messy, but that doesn't stop our love. Sharing in the Father's joy, you know, it's not all choice that we have to make. Because we see in the story of the prodigal, not everyone shares the Father's joy, the Son's Homecoming and the father's extravagant welcome is not the end of the story. When the older brother found out what the party was about, he was angry. He was angry. And the danger is that we can see ourselves in this older brother sometimes. Uh, Luke 15, chapter 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in to the party. So his father went out. Again, what a great picture of the father. Man, isn't it funny? It's almost like the father pursues... Like his people chases them, but he's patient with others. Pleaded with him, but he answered the father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave up, gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, "You are always with me, and everything I have is yours." But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. See, the older brother was not pleased to see his younger brother come home, and to be honest, I can understand his resentment. He obviously saw himself as the model son. Slavery is, and now the prodigal's back, and he's getting all the attention. This is scary because the older brother's reaction shows us that it's possible for us to be a servant of the Father. It's possible to be good living, to be moral, to be hard working, but at the same time to be proud, to be self-righteous, unloving, bitter, angry, and judgmental. In other words, it's possible for us to be just like the Pharisees Jesus is talking to and do all the things that they did. You know, religious pride, it's actually one of God's pet hates. Pet hates his religious pride. We've got no right to think that we're better than another person because of our righteousness. We're all sinners saved by grace. So let's make a rock solid decision today that we will align our hearts with the Father's heart of love for the prodigals and not waver from that. Sometimes it will be easy and sometimes it's going to challenge us to the core of our being. It's one last story to finish. After the end of the Second World War, some of the Nazi war criminals were finally brought to justice. These were unbelievably wicked men who committed terrible atrocities and killed millions of innocent people. One one in particular, man, get this, one was accused of murdering six million Jews. Imagine having that amount of blood on your hands, six million. The main leaders were taken to a town called Nuremberg and tried for their crimes. Then they were executed. A not so well-known side to that story is that almost half of those war criminals became Christians in the last few days of their life. God sent an American chaplain to Nuremberg to look after them. He did Bible studies with them and prayed for them, and one by one, Half of those Nazi war criminals who you'd think were as far from God as anyone can be turned to Jesus and were saved. Some of them were praising God just before they were hanged. Man, imagine that. God accepted them as his children. We will meet them in heaven. Some people who went through the war found that a very difficult thing to accept. They questioned how God could accept such terrible criminals So instead of being thrilled that God's grace can reach anyone, they were outraged at the thought that God and the angels were rejoicing over Nazi war criminals. That's a hard one, eh? Man, thought comes to mind. If if God can choose to forgive them, what right do we have to not forgive anyone else? No matter how hard it is, we must always align ourselves with God's opinion. Eh? Eh? If it's God's opinion to forgive them, and if sin our own way, not God's way, then it's a sin to hold on to that unforgiveness, that bitterness. Nazi war criminals might not be our issue, but for us it could be drug dealers, drunk drivers, child molesters, whatever. It could be that person that offended you last week. It could be that person that ignored you. It could be a family member. Whatever it is, many of us could have some kind of protocol that we might have to struggle to accept. Man, is there someone comes to mind right now? What could you do to release yourself of that hurt? And what could you do to extend an olive branch to that person, some love to seek that lost sheep? As we've already mentioned, you know, we want to be a church that cares, that welcomes anyone and goes crazy with joy when a lost sheep or a prodigal makes its way home. Beyond is our purpose. And when it comes to those already in the house, let's not be losers. Let's not lose the precious coins in our house. People, each other, are our passion. And maybe you're the one feeling lost this morning. Maybe you feel like the sheep and you don't know how you got to that place. It just happened, wandered off. But there you are, lost or worse, empty or desperate. And you're longing to feel at home and loved, and wanted and accepted. You're longing to be found. Or Maybe you identify more with the prodigal. You made some bad choices and ended up in a far country. You wish you could change the things you've done in your past, but you can't. And you don't know if you'd be welcomed back. Maybe you feel feel like the coin. Maybe someone hurt you. Maybe something happened. And you've become disillusioned with the church or with God himself. However we get lost, we need to remember that our Father is running after us. He's not just walking, he's running. He loves you so much and he would do anything to get you back. He would even go through being tortured to death by being crucified on a cross. He's running with arms open wide, reaching out with his incredible love and forgiveness, doing all he can to get you back on track. Why don't you just close your eyes right now? Who do you identify with? Is it the sheep? And you don't know how you got to the place you're in. You just, uh, this is life. I don't know what happened. This is just, it just happened But you just want to be found. You just want to belong to a family, a people. You want to be right with God. Maybe you're like the coin and you were offended. People have hurt you, people have let you down. Man, if that's you today, I just want to say, I'm sorry. People can be really insensitive. Christians can. You know, we're all broken people. Maybe you're the prodigal son and you've run away from God. You rebelled. You pursued pleasure. You pursued the things of the world. You ran off and you just wanted to do things for yourself for a while. But you've realized that you wasted the good thing that you had in the Father's house. God is faithful, he's seeking you, he loves you, he never gave up on you. If you want to come back to God, if you need to make peace with God, if you want to accept Jesus into your life, receive his forgiveness, and if you want to decide from this day on that I want to know Jesus and I want to do things God's way and not just do things for my own selfish reasons, if that's you today and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, no one else is looking around, why don't you just put your hand up and we'll pray together. We'll talk.